Real Connection. A podcast of real stories that connect us to know we're not alone. A series where you might realise your experience is more common than you think. Hey, and welcome to the Real Connection podcast with me, Kelly Payne. Today I have here with me the very talented artists, Kieran Lee and Faisal Hassan, who have both experienced tough times with their mental health. Beyond them, they've endured ADHD, severe depression, suicide, self-harm, anxiety, and substance abuse slash addiction, and beyond more. Today we're gonna discuss male stereotypes and the challenges men face in particular with mental health in the UK, and why we think there is a mental health crisis. We're also gonna get a special live performance of one of Faisal's spoken word poems that will definitely give you some perspective and food for thought if the podcast itself hasn't already done its job. If you have any comments whilst listening, please do use our hashtag, manup. Faisal's about to cook up some fire. I'll try everyone. (laughs) Real Connection. Starting with Kieran, can you just give us like an introduction to yourself and then your experience in mental health? Welcome to go as far into that as you want and go on a tangent, but we just really want to get an idea of who you are and what your experience is with mental illness and, and so on. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. I mean, obviously a lot of people know that I play drums. That's like my main thing. I don't know when and where the whole stigma for me began I guess I've always had it since I was a baby or like since I was young because I never had the anxiety belly I was always super like focused and hyperactive on things I loved doing but like I think ADHD I was diagnosed with that super late I was like 16 and then I was expelled from college and I was like always out of school as well but then at the same time, like flip it over, you know, you could have like these bookworms or like book smart people look at that as like, oh, you're such a rebel, you're such a like whatever, like you, you're not going to amount to anything. And at the same time, I've made a whole path and a career for myself. So it was like, you can kind of look at that on a negative way or a bad way. But yeah, I don't know. I think it probably started really, my ADHD was always noticeable. I used to have a really, really, really bad foul temper. And as I've grown older, I've learned to deal with everything, you know, in accord. You know, I've had like counsellors, I've had therapy, I've done numerous things to my body that I don't think you should ever, ever, ever do, you know, in, in your life. But um, I've kind of, you know, rode through a storm and, and kind of got out of it on the other side to the shore, which is great. But yeah, I don't know. It's just, I'm like a, I, I kind of look at it as like Frankenstein. There's so many different parts to me and different things that go on at the same time that just doesn't make sense. But at the same time, it's like a beautiful mess. You know, it's just a weird, weird concoction of things. But yeah, other than all my mental health talks and speeches and, and videos and documentaries and stuff, drums is my main thing, music. So yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell, I guess. No, fantastic. Thanks for sharing. That just gives us all an insight of who you are and what your experience has been with mental health over the years. Uh, Faisal, what about you? Uh, please uh, share with us your experience. Um, I think each person's personal, that individual battle with their own mental health is, there will be a lot of similarities that also relay, but everyone's story is so different and so you know, personal to them, obviously. And I feel um, we do all experience similar things throughout life, but at different points. So for example, like, the earliest trace of it that I can ever sort of think of in terms of say like anxiety or something was um, say like even like the 
the day before going back to school, for example. I don't know what it used to be, and this used to stem uh, back to, uh, to secondary school, uh, college, even university. Before I'd go back, like after we've had, say, Christmas holidays or summer break, and then you're going back, I'd always have like this anxiety like within me. Um, but once I got there, I was fine. And I was sort of like, okay, that was a little bit strange. And there were other sort of like triggers for me. The biggest trigger I would say for me on a personal note was that the feeling of rejection. And I think I was basically during this whole lockdown period, I was just going through like a real soul searching period. And um, I really wanted to tap in and try and understand my younger self. Um, and when I say that, it was, um, I'd say, so when I was younger, um, so I'm an only child basically. But I remember like when my cousins from Manchester used to come, I used to get so excited, so excited because I'd have like my other cousins to play with and stuff. But then it was the feeling when they go, I was deflated. And, um, and I think also like when I was growing up, so saying like being like an only child, and I've noticed this uh, even like a few months ago, I noticed there was like little senses of entitlement here and there because I never really used to go without when I was younger or I had other things that maybe, you know, maybe filled a void, I could say, like when I was younger, but there used to be like a sense of entitlement that I used to feel. But fast forward now, going to university, that was when I actually got a diagnosis of um, major depression and anxiety. Um, and that was sort of the period where I was sort of, because there was one afternoon, I won't forget this, it was when I just started in first year, and I just got home and it was just sort of when, it was in mid-October, and I just got home and I sat down and, I literally sat there for about maybe two, three hours. I didn't realize how fast the time had gone, but I literally felt numb. I literally felt numb and empty. And that was like the first time I can sort of recall it. Um, and I think I've always sort of had like an identity crisis as well growing up because I've always been the emotional soppy git, but that's just me. Um, so for me, like in school times, when you're around like people that put on an image and a facade of, you know, being like this macho kind of person, it's um it's really jarring it's a really like disheartening and disfla uh, you know deflating as well because you know being that sensitive person i never used to feel like i fit in with anyone or or anything like that so a lot of the time i used to just keep my mouth quiet and not really speak and people got a misconception thinking that i'm this shy guy and i'm this shy person but i was only like that and then i was almost silenced in a way because of the fear of being who i am but now fast forward um, I just own that, yeah, I'm an emotional guy. Like, we're all emotional and we're all sensitive in different ways and people want to hide a lot behind their own insecurities. But that's a little background about myself. No, that's fantastic. I think you really pulled up some themes and a lot of, a lot of feelings that I'm sure a lot of other men uh, in the UK have also experienced. Um, feeling like they have to put on that mask and hide behind what society says they should be. Um, thinking about that, what makes up a man like in your own words what is what is manly like what is your what was your impression of that been through growing up it's a very tough question to say what makes a man because you're then asking the same question to however many men there are in you know in the world or the uk or whatever country to say what makes a human being because i think at the same time like uh, you know take me for example you know compare me to phrase compare me to loads of other guys i'm covered in tattoos um i'm not sports savvy really in the slightest i like basketball and like american kind of sports i'm not this like 
geezer. I don't know. I kind of am kind of not. Like, I don't follow a trend of this and this and this. You could stick me in a lineup with like seven other guys and I'd stick out like a sore thumb. And in a way, I like that because then I've got my own personality. But at the same time, I think a lot of men are very lost in their ways along their lives. And I think it all stems down from how they had an upbringing of what they were around and whatever um, whatever challenges they faced and how they faced them and how they answered the, the questions they wanted answering, really. But it's interesting listening to your thoughts because you actually picked out some ideas, like picking your brains there. You, you brought up going... You brought up sports, being interested in football. You brought up having tattoos. You brought up having yeah. a father figure, and that's who had built you as a fan and who's given that impression. And I think that comes down to why there's a lot of traditional issues here and why some people with a dad might have outdated perspectives of society on what, what it means to be a fan. And maybe somebody who doesn't have a father figure in their life maybe are sort of more, tra uh, sorry, less traditional, more or modern in, in, in how that is. And I think this but is then, But then saying that, sorry to interrupt, but then, then saying that, like, even like, it's, the points you've made are, are bang on and it's it spurred me on because, it, you know, me saying, oh yeah, because they've got a father figure, they've grown up like that. It's nothing like that. I mean, like, as in like, even if they didn't, you know, like, I'm a really sensitive, romantic guy. Like, you ask Harriet, like, I will do phase knows I'll do anything and everything for anyone and help everyone. I'm, I'm massive romantic, but at the same time, I can be firm and I can, you know, kind of put my dig, dig my heels in the ground sometimes and whatever. And I can guarantee you, we've probably got a lot more female friends than male friends and not for, you know, those, like, those reasons, but just for the reasons that we, we always probably got on better with females because we we're in touch with our sensitive sides as well as our, um, uh, like, alpha sides as well. But yeah, sorry to interrupt. No, 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 this is what we're here for. Faisal, what about you? Um. I mean, the obvious answer, firstly, is the gender that we're assigned with from birth. And then the other one is obviously the body part that we have. Like those are the, you know, literal things as to what actually defines a man. But, um, you know, Kira made some really valid points as well um, in terms of how some of that families and, um, you know, your personal upbringing can then shape how you see the world, right? So for me, like, um, I'll put it this way as well. So I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, traditions that have been plagued through men, right? In terms of the whole stigmas like don't cry, man up, be a man, men don't cry, don't cry like a girl, cry like a bitch, whatever you want to sort of say, you know. But, <clears throat> you know, I can hand on heart say that I've seen my, in 25 years of my life, I've only seen my dad cry three times. And that was on when um, we've lost a loved one in our family, for example. Other than that, I've never once seen him. And, um, and I think that's really, really interesting, um, you know, seeing as, uh, seeing how our generation is the generation that is now going to change and shift this out of the way. Like, it's it's never, like, the idea of, like, even if I've seen some of my brothers in tears, they'll be like, oh, sorry. I'm like, why are you saying sorry for? And then they're almost made to feel, like, ashamed and guilt for having human feelings. Do you know what I mean? You, like... Gender aside, body part aside, we're human beings. Do you know what I mean? We all have the same feelings. It's up to us as to how we show them and stuff. And I'm not saying to everyone, right, let's just start running around crying. Like that's not what we're here to say and what we're trying to, to you know, promote. But I'm just saying to people like, be real with how you're feeling. And I think socials is a plague for this as well. 
like we could probably think of people at the top of our head where they're not necessarily feeling fantastic on one day uh, or even in the moment but then you see them up and this is how misleading social media is it's you know you could like any one of us could be feeling so sad right or feeling really low and at our lowest point for example but we'll post a happy photograph of us so everyone will immediately think that we're happy even though we could be sit there with tears in our eyes as we're posting that same image right the other point that kieran was just saying about you know us having a lot of female friends now growing up as well like i would always get you know i, I was used to get it saying oh like you must be gay like you've got more female friends than you've got guys etc why is that and the thing is when they're asking me with them questions they they don't understand say like on the girls behalf it's like the girls don't feel uncomfortable or uneasy hanging around with me because they know i'm about the right intentions they just can't understand or can't see in their eyes that how guys can get on with girls on like a non-say sexual way when there's so much more to that do you know what i mean it's about boundaries, respect you know what i mean and that's why like if it doesn't necessarily matter that we've got a lot of female friends but we both people as kieran said we're both in touch with our sensitive side and um we just prefer female energy to an extent what you're what you're bringing up is what I was alluding to. I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want you to prepare an answer for this, and that's why I didn't sort of give you a notification for okay. I was going to ask because I wanted an authentic response. And I wanted to see whether you'd comment on the cracks in society. And you're both absolutely right. I uh, from my own opinion anyway. I ask this because I think it is an awful question, and I think that both of you have noted. I think a man should be emotional. A man is authentically himself. A man helps others, a man cares, a man cries, um, a man sees others for the best that they are. And I don't think a man needs, you know, needs to, uh, you know, I don't think you're a man if you follow others. I don't think you're a man if you play football. I don't see you as a man if you, uh, you know, go around making everyone's life hard or anything like that. You know, these are all themes that I think people need to break out of. And so it was really interesting to hear both of your responses and see that you that you've both noticed so moving moving forward what do you think when someone says man up have you ever been told that before in your life Faisal if you want to start <laughs> countless times like you know get on with it like you know uh, man up stop crying like oh like uh, you know obviously we can't curse but you know stop acting like a you know this that and the other um and it's just it's just such jarring like words and it's like what what does it actually mean to man up like so there's a piece in this new poem that i'm releasing this evening um which features the three faces of kieran um my three beautiful yet ugly faces three angles. <laughs> yeah, so there's a oh, section in that where i like i you know begin to talk a bit more about you know what makes a bigger man one that can one not scared to lose a fight or one to engage his emotions to control his mind. And then I also elaborate and talk more about the most insecure men out there are the ones that are ready to swing their fist with no hesitation. But I do have a very strong degree of empathy for them because though that insecurity and that bottled aggression comes from those words, man up, do that, you know, don't cry. So you bottle everything up, put on this facade. It's just like the known thing. Like if a woman cries, she's sensitive. Um, but if we do that, there's not necessarily the same love and devotion and affection to us because women crying is, like, is seen as the normal thing. And um, if a guy cries, it's a sign of weakness or whatever, when it's not. There's no difference in actual fact. Um, and 
yeah, it's just it's just a, it's just a real shame to be honest with you. Um, like being told man up, even like from I mean, I'm grateful. Like my family are wonderful. My dad's never once said that to me, or any anything toxic in that way. Um, and my dad showed me like a, my dad sort of paved like a whole different way for me. It was always just you know, just, uh, you've got a set of morals and values. Stick to them. Don't lose who you are, no matter how people treat you, etc. And yeah, there's just plenty more space for room and improvement. But that's the other thing I was going to say about on a generation basis. Like, um, so say like our dads and our granddads, they were part of a whole different generation, right? Where they're told pretty much, right, this is what you think, this is what you do, get on with it, right? Now, but our generation, because of socials, not actually, no, not necessarily just because of socials, but I do think that is a, it is an impact, but for a, in a good way as well. It's all about balance. It's understanding, number one, nothing on social media is real. It's literally a show reel. We could be, like I said, we could be feeling really bad and awful, but we can post a happy memory and people that will think, oh, they're happy. But we are that guinea pig. And because of, um, yeah, because of factors, say, socials and just this generation we're a part of and the people we are now around we won't follow the old traditions where this is what you think this is what you're going to do for work go and do it we question everything and with that now we're like we're it's escalating to a whole nother dimension which i think is brilliant number one the fact that we do question everything but the other downside to that there's no coincidence now as a generation that overthink you're now seeing the certain levels of mental health and the conversation now bring now being brought to the table i feel because of that you know what i mean absolutely it's it's interesting go back to one of the first points you said about um a woman being sensitive and a man not being allowed to do that and i wonder whether that is why there is an impact on women not being in power and that's because they're too sensitive they're too hormonal they they can't you know they're not strong enough to lead a country or so on and so forth. And I wonder now there's a sense of fear that as men open up, men start crying, men start speaking out on their own, um, not even mental health, just emotional experiences, you know, and talking about their feelings, whether that's people are starting to get scared about, you know, how are we going to cope moving forward? But I think that, you know, as long as you can, as long as you learn to understand and manage your emotions mm. and your feelings and your, and your mental health, then you're in control and, and you can enforce control on in, into powerful positions. Mm. Uh, I think that's what we're seeing a lot of change here with women coming into, into power. And, I, and I'm always curious to know what impact this has on men when they're mm. able to speak their own mind and feel their own feelings. Um, Kieran, what about you? How do you feel about the, the term man up? With saying something like that, it's the equivalent of when you're really down in the dumps, super depressed or low or in this hard, hard place under a rock someone saying cheer up it's the it's the same equivalent do you know what I mean but like for a man I think it's not demoralising but I think it depends who's saying it as well and that's what I mean there's questions off questions off other questions when you say things and it's just a bit sort of like do you choose to ignore it do you choose to listen to it and become blind and turn into something you're not or do you choose to act on it so there's like different ways of thinking about it. When I've when I've had it said to me before in the past, one was a PE teacher years ago. I ended up leaving that PE lesson and never going back. <laughs> I just used to sit in the music room every time I do PE. I think that the person that says it, there's something that's stemming deep down in them 
Can I, can I just add to that point, what Kieran was just saying? Because he touched on something that was really, really cool just like towards the end there as well. What he was saying, like, you know, it'll, it often reflects other people. We will attract a lot of, say, you know, people with different... Obviously, look, you attract everyone with different circumstances and stuff as well. But you're going to get some great people that enter your life. And you're also going to get people that are going to teach you the toughest and hardest lessons in the hardest of ways. But often, if someone sees something in, like, say, let's say myself or Kieran, we could be their mirror for their own self-hate. They'll see something in us they wish or... They you know, were. You know... Yeah. I'm just using me and Kieran as an example, but you know, Kelly, I'm, you know, even some, if someone's ever been nasty or something to you or ever, you know, said something horrible and demeaning towards yourself, it will reflect more on them as a, it's as like, what's the saying, what's the saying of, uh, what Sue says about Sally says more about, um, Sally than Sue or something. I can't remember what it is, but it's like, yeah. it's that whole, thing of mm. even like before like we started rolling and, and recording and stuff like mm. I was saying to you two about like we've got the whole thing between mental health the documentary and then like who you know with anyone that's ever done anything that they're really proud of it could be anything from like being agoraphobic to going for a walk or you know like just any little thing in their life there's yeah. always someone to knock them down a peg Sometimes, if a man is too polite to a woman, vice versa, they can get walked on. And I think with any partner that can happen, because I think there's always, I don't believe in, you know, alphas. In animals, I believe alphas, like alpha in dog packs. With human beings, I don't believe in alphas any way, shape or form. I just believe in being polite. Like, I met Harriet a year and a half ago and I still opened the door for her. I still let her go first. I still buy her roses every other week or every fortnight without fail and it's things like that that i've just been raised into this point to just always you know do your best for the people that you love and stuff and be around you and at the end of the day i think if you're going to be a toxic human being that can't see through the lines of say man up or cheer up or this and that and this and that you think reality is never going to hit you the day reality hits you Mm. you will have no one in your circle or near you that wants to deal with you because you've treated everyone else like crap so it's like catch 22 of everything you kind of want to believe in you know but yeah i don't know it's just me rambling on but it's just how my head thinks about things no it's spot on. one thing i've noticed as well is like just throughout life right look your vibe attracts your tribe you know what i mean the energy that we put out to the world is what we get back and our aura and our energy and our vibe are the kinds of people that we will attract. And sometimes when you're, you know, someone with healing abilities or, you know, beautiful, great energy, you will attract damaged souls as well. Do you know what I mean? I think there's a difference though of having toxic traits and being a toxic person. Oh yeah, massively. Yeah. Massively. I don't think the traits are, are toxic in, you know, anyways, because I think those traits define who you are. You know, my other half taught me this very well. We fell in love with each other and I had all my issues going on with, um, you know, I was still taking like prescriptions on, you know, drugs and stuff and still just drinking so heavily that sometimes, I mean, there was a running joke that was going on for like a good month or two. And she was like, every time you've like seen my mum or something, she was like, you're either hungover or you're still drunk. And like, <laughs> when I, when I, honestly, when I think back to it, I'm like, who was that guy? You know, and like, she's this person that's taken me in and churned me out 
to be an even better human being. And I'm not relying on her. And I, you know, I say it to her all the time, I don't rely on you. Probably in the beginning I did. That might have been a toxic thing I might have been doing is relying on her or other people too much. And then over time, I've grown and I've, you know, broken out of boundaries and I've kind of just started getting the pedals on the bike again and really becoming me again because Faze will back, back me up on this again as well. I wasn't myself for like two years <laughs> or like a year and a half or whatever. Like I was just completely away with the fairies all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I think, you know, I think when people go through that, I think that's a reality lifter. They need something to take them out of reality. Right. So that's a little bit. And I think that's just the way, you know, when you speak about toxicity and toxic traits, I think that's what I look into when you say toxic traits. It's like things that, are deemed in society is is not wrong but frowned upon mm. that's the way i look at it mm. kelly i have a question for you so um i'm just intrigued like so you know when we were all talking about like alpha for example like and i agree with you kieran i don't think there is like in a human being form i don't think no, it doesn't need to be of alpha but like i think we'll all have the same similar answer but I w- i'd like to get kelly's perspective as a um, as a female on this so Kelly, if I said alpha male to you, like how would you describe it? It's it's a hard question to answer. It's weird being on the other side of things, but I think I think an alpha male, you have to be, you have to have strength in the sense of you know you know the right thing to move forward with, and you're there to help others. And you know, and I think that you have to be very brave in the steps you take to do new and different things and things that aren't necessarily what others are doing and you and you have to be willing to be different like i would see you both as uh, alpha males in the sense that you are authentically doing and i'm going to use that word so many bloody times but you are yourselves you 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 admit to your strengths you're always there to help others you're honest in who you are you're you 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 like thrive on your talents and you do what you were born to do and you actually get on and do it in the way that you need to do it and it's fine if you have problems it's fine if you break down but you talk about it you're honest you know and i think that's what makes an alpha male yeah that's really interesting um, that's a that's a really really good really good answer mm. start a good answer Literally, I thought I was see that it's interesting because I was expecting you to maybe say like in your eyes or like what society says to you. Like, what is an alpha male? Um, you know, I thought maybe that would have been like the more like literal, like sort of like uh, if we're going off looks. So like you know, like six five, absolutely wham. Even you could say like Anthony Joshua, for example, um, or something like that. Just based on like physical or on physicality. Um, so I thought that was just like an interesting question, but your answer was really, really cool. I didn't expect, um, especially at the part where you said, you know, about doing what you're born to do, having a vision, going with it. And, you know, if we say we're going to do something, we don't just talk, we execute and we make sure we do it, regardless of the struggles and the hurdles. So, no, thank you for that. That was a really, really good answer. No, I like these questions. This is what we should be asking each other. And thinking about Anthony is like you know first name basis I don't I um I don't think I think he is an alpha male but I think that's not because of his success and because of his money or the fact he's got a six-pack and or the fact that he punches someone for a living I don't think that is being a man in my opinion I think that's a sign of potentially weakness in the in the sense that you have to deal with your problems by inflicting pain on others um I think that it's more of a case of that he's he's 
pushed he's worked so hard to get to where he yeah. is and mm. I can only go off what I've seen on social media and in the news so but I can see that he's helped others you know with his success and he, mm. he does great things along with it so that's where I think that's why I think he's an alpha male not because of his uh, physique um but thinking about relationships and what we were talking about uh before with that what, what's your opinion on that phase in, in regards to relationships and and what a man is within that role um so as i said like and i would me and kieran again in terms of like a loving aspect and i think with our like with me and uh, kieran right our phase is about to cook up some fire hold tight everyone <laughs> <laughs> i'm waiting for it <laughs> With like me and Kieran, right? We like, and we follow. We practice this in our everyday lives, right? We don't know how to do something half-heartedly. We are all, we we are literally. You have every ounce of our, we are every ounce. Of, yeah, you have every ounce of our energy, or you have nothing. We don't do anything half-hearted now, especially like in a you know in a romantic kind of way. Me and Kieran, without doubt, are old souls, old school romantics, and whatnot. Like being proud to be with your partner because nowadays I feel even. Like there's this, you know, I love how Kieran and uh, Harris are such a good friend. Like, no, she's like my sister. Like, you know, them two mean the absolute world to me. So to see them two, you know, even a year on, going on two years now, um, still so like infatuated with each other and just so proud to be with one another and so, you know, constantly loving and supporting, you know, each other. That is exactly how I feel like love and stuff should be. Anyone that you meet and that enters your life or even leaves your life is there to teach you something. Everything that you're going to go through, etc., is a lesson. It can hurt. You know, my guy Drake, my idol, he basically said, so my two are Drake and Kanye for different reasons. But Drake said one line in particular. He says, the first love is the sweetest. The first cut is the deepest. So Drake, as a male, obviously, that was the reason... Um, I think I, I, when I started listening to him 10 years ago, that was the re and you know, he's talking about, you know, his, you know, breakups, feeling lonely, feeling, feeling vulnerable. I'm like, what? Like, I'm like, I feel exactly how this guy is feeling right now on this song or what he said. But if I dare said that, I would get ridiculed and mocked for it. So the, re the, the day I turned my life around or stopped uh, allowing old things or other people's views and opinions to plague me, was literally the day I owned who I am. I'm like, yeah, I'm this emotional person. Cool. So now anyone that in, uh, anyone that meets me, etc., is um, they're fully aware what they're going to get with me. Basically, I don't uh, change how I am according like, around any other person. I'm just me. <clears throat> so the idea of men that don't hit their women, or a man that doesn't go and cheat, for example. That isn't something to be like our parading and stuff. That is the bare minimum. And I don't know, like men that don't do that feel like they need a prize in a way. Do you know what I mean? And it's crazy. And the other thing I was gonna say, in some, let's say like a toxic relationship, for example, the way that people project their insecurities onto other people, that, and um, you know, I, I love it and I love to hear when, um, someone I know perhaps, or you hear a story that someone was going through something and they, they regained their power in themselves and they walked away from it. And there's another conversation to be had as well, because obviously like in terms of say like domestic abuse, again, like even if you say domestic abuse, you probably visualize a man swinging his fist towards a woman, right? When women can, you know, of course women can, you know, slap or scratch or however, like attack a man, but it's also what, you know, the words because the scar and stuff will fade, but words, 
will stretch way deeper than anything. And it's it's been about that. Being, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I've been there, dude. <laughs> and it's yeah. a it's a real conversation, but like it's the same thing when I said alpha male, or now I'm saying domestic abuse. What do you think of? You think of a man, don't you? You think of a guy swinging at a woman. Do you know what I mean? It's not, you don't ever think about, the, like the idea of a man being domestically abused by a woman, he'll automatically have a tag and be like, oh, he's a weakling, he's a simp, he's this, that, and the other. Do you know what I mean? It's Again, it's just, yeah, it's just visualised as in that way. But yeah, Kieran, what do you think, bro? I think there are way too many people out there that look for anyone and everyone so one, they don't die alone. Two, they're not lonely. Three, they've got a statement. And four, they can put all of their stuff that's hanging on their heads and shoulders onto another person that's stronger than they are when actually they that's should kind of sort that stuff out beforehand. And then, yeah, I guess so. But more so, yeah, yeah. I mean, more so than, you know, I had my, my problems. Harriet helped me, but it actually took mm. me to do the work to help myself. Mm. There's a lot of people that just want someone to fix them straight away, like snap of the fingers, fix me, you know, like love me and fix me. But I think at the same time, with me especially, like I always, I always like to have reassurance about certain things, you know, like if I feel like I've upset someone or whatever mm. else, I, I kind of have to have, you know, reassurance in specific ways. There was always a time where I was thinking, H is going to leave. And that was just my own insecurity because I was so paranoid because I thought wow she's too good for me and now I know like when I think back to that I'm like that was just me being being stupid not having those thoughts but I've now got this, point. yeah I've now got to this really comfortable point in mm. my life my relationship with with her and mm. you know I don't really talk a lot about it because I love that's the other thing I love about me and how we keep a lot of stuff private mm. um and I think people air their stuff way too much Mm. on this social social media platform that mm. I think actually everyone's kind of lost faith in themselves being able to deal with their own stuff with yeah, their other yeah. half and you know and Harriet's taught me about communication I mean I that's came from a background of you sweep everything under the rug and you get on with it <laughs> that was just how it yeah. was you know even growing up that's just, that's just how it is but now she's like that's probably why I was so like whoa because mm. Harriet would be like, no, 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 we're gonna we're gonna talk about it like now, and I yeah. I now do that with like business partners. I now do it with like work people, like anyone that wants to say anything or talk about something, you do it there and then, and you know you get it out the open, you talk about it and stuff, and yeah. So yeah, no, I'm definitely someone I felt like, um, and what my last relationship taught me was like having like this sort of savior complex, the idea of wanting to like save someone or fix someone. But then now I'm just like, look, I can't fix and save anyone. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not my, and number one, it's not my duty to do that. Um, like if you're in a relationship, you're in it together, right? You both want to have to make it work um, and ride the waves, etc. But nowadays I do feel like there's a big, you know, it's a lot of relationships only together for image, number one. They see something on That's Instagram. a massive thing. That's it. They only see, you know, they'll be like wearing Gucci, Louis and all that sort of stuff or Balenciaga, whatever. Um, and they'll just see an image of something they like on the internet. They're like, oh, I want this for me. When it's not actual, like when you see couple goals, like, no, that's not goals. That's just like, again, filling voids. And then once you've got it, you're going to want something else. Um, and the people, the mistake people make nowadays when they throw themselves into a relationship is that they're probably not even, let's say, ready to go into the relationship. But they just, um, because part of finding happiness together is finding it alone and individually. Because yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. 
Yeah, because then once your happiness is then transferred onto another human being, that in itself is toxic and dangerous. Because if that person then goes, where does it leave you, right? Now, it leads me to this other thing. It's, um, what was it? Like, how many relationships as well could like, you think of in your head that people finish with someone before you blink an eye, they're, they're with someone they're else. They're with somebody else? Yeah, now, yeah. People like that, I feel I have a big degree of empathy for you because I do feel like, although it's their decision, their choice, I'm not here to judge them for that. I just feel that they'll never find out who they truly are because they constantly need validation from someone else to be, you know what I mean? To find their happiness and to feel wanted, to you know, and stuff like that. Um, but, <clears throat> and I, like, the main thing I'm sort of like, sort of getting at as well, like, um, I feel like anytime that like, we as human beings are disappointed, it's because of our own doing, right? Like, um, it's, it might sound like a crazy thing to say, but this is just something, my personal opinion, um, because I feel like anytime I've maybe placed an expectation on something or someone, and it hasn't necessarily gone like the fantasy in my head or whatever, I'm then disappointed and distraught by it. But I can hold my hands up now and say, look, that's my fault and my responsibility and I'm fully accountable for everything in my life. It's not ever someone else. It's me because I placed an expectation on that situation, which sounds crazy, right? Um, and then the last thing, Kelly, just before I forget, um, there are two concepts that I live by that I want to share with you guys and share with anyone that's listening as well. Um, I call them the AA concept. They stand for awareness and acceptance. So the most powerful point you can be with, with your mental health, for example, or, you know, understanding your triggers. It's like when you're aware of them, right? So for me, right, rejection, that's my trigger. Now I'm aware of what my trigger is. I can then slowly step into the acceptance stage of that. Right, okay, I know it's, I know it's, um, I'm aware it's rejection that gets to me. So once that then happens, I can then take the appropriate actions and steps into what I need to do to work on it. Because probably the most work, the, the, about, not the like the most horrible position to be in is when you you're not necessarily aware of what it is that's triggering you or something because then you just feel so vulnerable and helpless right but like i said it's the awareness and the acceptance or sorry once you're aware you creep into the acceptance stage so i call that the aa the other one is the ee not like the network so with this one this is about this is about endure and evolve so <clears throat> everything that we have to go through, let's say you've just finished, a, like you've just come out of a breakup or you're going through a breakup. You have to endure every ounce of that energy you are feeling, every single emotion, the happiness, the tears, but you have to endure all of that in order to evolve from it. Do you know what I mean? No, I love that you say that. I really, what really spoke to me is the awareness. And I think that um, talking about um, male mental health, one of the next questions I was going to ask was, have you ever asked for help and who did you contact? And I think that when you take that next step, it's you have to first be aware of what you're feeling and your emotions and what you're going through uh, before you can even take that next step to go, okay, well, how can I resolve this? How can I do something with it? Um, within your own experiences, at what point made you aware that you have a problem and that you need help? And have you ever reached out for help? I remember having counselling in secondary school it was just like a school counselor you know they're like the ones that are like oh yeah things will get better the ones that are like yeah just you know think positive yeah yeah 
it just I don't know it just doesn't it just doesn't sit right with me but then at the same time like after all of that you know stuff I was going through back then happened mm. came out of school obviously went to college expelled and then I went to see there was this amazing woman that I saw she was like the best person I've ever had and she was like this woman that worked in Stevens at the time her name was um Mary mm. and she was like she reminded me of Miss Honey but like a bit older you know, like the older generation, but she was just this sweet, kind, caring woman mm. that just wanted to help and like taught me a lot about myself. Um, and then, yeah, after that, I kind of just self-medicated and handled myself for as long as I could. And then I started to crack again. And then I went back to therapy mm. and that was at CAMS, like adult health. Mm. And then every other therapist I'd see, it'd be like, oh yeah, he's left now or she's left now. This is your new one. I'm like, oh great, you've got to build that up again build that trust up again with someone and then the the last time I ever went there I was put on sleeping pills so that was two years ago year and a half two years ago two years ago and then uh it just completely spiraled so it was just like one of those things but even like you know early this year I was doing therapy and stuff privately um which I didn't really tell anyone about I just kind of did my thing not because I was embarrassed about it mm. just uh just it's just one of them things and yeah sure maybe later on in my life i might need more of it i might need a bit of help along the way and i don't think it's a shameful thing to ask for help at all in any way um and i think there's a lot more people out there that don't ask for it than do ask for it and i think there's still that whole barrier of you know like if you're in school and you're you know an innocent child or an innocent you know young teenager or whatever mm. you put your hand up and you ask for help for a question right just something you don't know about. Mm. What you're going through, you have no idea what you're going through because you can't actually like process it properly. But no matter what age of your life, mm. it's no different to asking for help from like when you're like really young to like super old. Like there's always gonna be things that come across. Some like have better Oh sorry bro. Some had uh better advice than others. That's like a massive thing I will say. Mm. Some are there for a paycheck and some are there to give you the meds and go so you haven't got to deal with you i've dealt with so many mm. <laughs> like so 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 many um so yeah just is what it is isn't it mm. absolutely so, I, feel like, I feel like ego stops you though like um your ego like will stop or not necessarily us but other people getting help and seeking the help and understanding that there is empowerment of being aware of vulnerability people are so scared of vulnerability and i don't understand that like being vulnerable is probably the most humbling part and i'd arguably say the most beautiful part because i feel like when i feel vulnerable i feel deprived from say any like um what's it because sometimes I've, i in the past i've used like my ego in a way to kind of as a guard in a way, like if I felt insecure about something, I'd just get this ego up and be like, all right, I can do whatever. Um, but when I feel vulnerable, it kind of just brings me back to that innocent child state in a way, which I really like, actually love now. Um, there's so much empowerment that comes from being vulnerable. And if you feel you're in a vulnerable state, there's so much strength in realizing what you need to do to then further on and progress and better your life by asking for help. And we need to normalize that conversation as a society. Like not almost like feeling ashamed or, you know, I'm going therapy or I'm on medication and saying it sort of under your breath. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, for sure. The reality is I definitely like, you know, you know, anyone that's going through that, you know, I'd much rather celebrate someone's life than mourn them, you know? And this is, that's especially yeah. anyone that I know. 
And that's why I'm very transparent with everyone that's in my life. I'm like, look, if you ever need me at any point, I don't care if we ain't spoken in a year, call me. Because I'd rather sure. celebrate you than mourn you. Absolutely. I'm yeah. so strong. Yeah. Do, I do the that's exact same thing. Think, thinking about that, um, so thanks to the mental health website, uh, we have resources that have opened up a lot of interesting and shocking data on men's mental health in the UK. And a shocking one in eight men have a common mental health problem such as depression, panic disorder, anxiety, or OCD, etc. However, this is only documented data. So as we've alluded to already, you know, not a lot of men come forward with egos and stuff like that. So would you be surprised to hear that men are three times as likely to die by suicide as women? And why do you think this is? No, I've heard that statistics so many times, like not even in not that kind of way of saying it, but it's like now it's becoming that constant reminder of like men are worse off for it. And it's like, why is no one doing anything about it? You know, why is there not a change in the statistic? Why is there not, uh, you know, why is there not a deeper dive into, into these specific things, you know, but sorry, Faze, I interrupted you, man. No, it's all right, my bro. I was just going to literally say, like, number one, I actually hadn't heard that, um, I hadn't heard that statistic before, but secondly, it doesn't shock me in any way, and it reverts back to what we were saying at the beginning of the conversation about, you know, women being known as a sensitive gender, um, men feeling, like, ashamed for it and stuff, or being, and because of a lot of traditions and stuff like that, so it doesn't actually surprise me. Of course, it's a hor horrible thing to hear and, you know, read, but again, we're not necessarily designed or encouraged to express about how we feel. Um, and as I said, we need to normalise that conversation. The other thing, the government do not care about anyone's mental health. They were, and I, I feel very strongly about this because, you know, I, a few months ago, I, was, I called the, um, I spoke to someone on the phone about a 111 department. And I was just asking them about like therapy options and stuff. And they said, well, this is before COVID as well. I've called them before. Um, but a couple of months anyway, I called them and I said to them, like, roughly how much is it for therapy around here? Like if you went through say NHS, for example, and they said three to six months. Now, oh, it's insane. Oh, now, it's crazy. There's no coincidence the rise in suicide now. Uh, they're skyrocketing. They're more than ever. I read one statistic one week. There was 11 deaths supposedly from COVID compared to 154 through male suicide in a week. Now, I'm not saying there's a competition, like if you die of COVID or if you die of suicide, but that number there in one week is terrifying. Oh, it's insane! Like number, like number-wise, like you, you just think about these things. But I think the problem is, is mm. you've got a really fine line between people caring and things getting just thrown aside for mm. the greater good. That's how you know the higher up sort of are like hierarchy look at it. You know, like that's how they mm. that's how they perceive it. All. And the thing is, is you know, these lockdowns, I think the best form is actually taken into your own hands for the sake of, you know, others. Like, if you know that someone's not right, dig deep, as deep as you can and really dig them out um, on, you know, what is seriously wrong. I know there's something wrong, you know. They might not want to talk about it, which is, you know, yeah, I get it. Um, but I, I've said to someone before, if you really, really do need the therapy or you need the help that bad, go privately. Mm. Because... It, one, it's quicker, two, it speeds it up. Three, yeah, you might play a little bit more, but if you're really in that desperate need of mm. professional care and help, mm. then do it. 
for the love of good, do it because money you can always make money. You can never make a peace of mind. Do you know what I mean? You can always, you know, you can help peace of mind, but money's a bit of paper. Like it's just a figure. Like it is what it is. Just you know, and even if you know to those people out there, that's a bit of a bold statement, isn't it? Really, because there's a lot of people that sometimes don't have money or have mm. it to, for certain things and whatever. And I think at the same time, um, there needs to be leeways with things like that, and there needs to be ways of you know breaking that figure yeah. down or scale down and helping those people better off because they're just going to be more stressed. Because a lot mm-hmm. of our stress has come from financial, yep. statistically known, it comes from financial um, stability and um, and social surroundings. So Exactly. So yeah. give me a really blunt answer to this one. What do you expect the highest age range of male suicides is? So an example being 10 to 20 years, 20 to 30. Faze, what do you think it is? 20 to 30. to 40, I think. Uh, it's actually updated documents uh, have come back saying it's 40 to 49 and there were 6,000 suicides. It was 6,000 suicides were recorded in Great Britain in 2017, obviously that being fairly outdated, and 75% were men. The higher rates are recorded for those who are found in minority communities, including war veterans, gay men, men of BAME backgrounds, and those with low incomes. So like you were saying a minute ago about, you know, people struggling with income and so on and, and uh, employment. So what are your experiences and thoughts with these hardships and statistics on male suicide? Have, I mean, I know myself, um, I won't go into any detail behind these stories, but I have had to help three friends in need who are actively committing suicide. And if they hadn't reached out, uh, I, I, I could never know what the outcome would have been. But that conversation, that hint, it was never a straightforward BTW, you know, I'm, I'm in yeah, yeah, life cool. now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's been that conversation afterwards of, by the way, I, I don't know if you realise, but the help you got me that evening or the conversation we had, that point you made about this, and I was very aware of what was likely happening at that time. And I think it's reaching out to those suggestions or things that people are talking about, or the way that they're talking or what they're doing, you know, it's pinpointing what's wrong. But I also think, Kieran, you brought up a message earlier, and I want to talk about this as well in the sense of uh, what do you want more from others around you? Because I know you, uh, we were having a conversation earlier and you said that people were reaching out to you more and that would be, you know, confirm this if you're still feeling that way. And I, I, yeah. wonder, I wonder though, like, we must ask ourselves if the, if the person has reached... Normally when we say, I'm really upset that my friends haven't, you know, reached out to me more lately when they knew that I was maybe going through a tough time. But I want to ask... Did the, how many times have you reached out to that person for no reason? And I can say probably between us three that quite often, you know, we, you know, we're quite forward people and we do, we do stay in contact. But I think we must ask ourselves yeah. what actions have we taken before? Because I feel, um, I feel like a bit down sometimes. And like, gosh, no, nobody's reached out to me. And fortunately, I'm in a position where I have many friends who do, and I'm quite a person who communicates daily. But you know, yeah. there are them, some people that I'm like, gosh, I wonder how they are doing, especially through the pandemic. And I haven't mm-hmm. actually reached out to them. And you go, well, they haven't reached out to me. And it's just like, you're becoming an argument of yourself of who should be doing yeah. it first. What are there's, two ways, there's two ways of playing that game. Two massive ways of playing that game. And I'm not going to name any names, but there's one person very close to me recently that I've had the pleasure of sharing the stage with for the past six to seven years of my life um, with a project that I do. And I've learned from him for about a month and a half, two months. 
I've already thought the worst anyway. I've tried messaging family. They've read the messages, not replied to them. And it just sends you nuts because you then want to go and do something. But actually, you know, nine times out of 10, um, I've been told this as well so many times is you can't help yourself unless, unless you be helped. And the issue with it is, is I'm a man that believes in kindness for all and helping everyone. And I try my best with everyone. And sometimes, you know, even if you try your best to a lot of other people, your best really isn't good enough. Um, or they get annoyed at you constantly asking about things or trying to help with things or trying to do specific things that help those people out. And the only thing that I've ever sort of got to a point where I've dug my heels in about it is, you know, I've tried to help people out before in the past. So I just throw it back in your face. I think, do you know what? I'll let you throw your toys out the pram. Come back to me when you're ready. And nine times, maybe 10 times out of 10, that happens. They'll just come straight back to me. Like, Look, man, I'm really sorry. I know you're trying to help. You know, I've done it. I've done it before. Um, I was mid overdose. I had the police at the door at like 6.30 or 7 a.m. Really early hours in the morning. Really close friend of mine. She, um, I was FaceTiming or I was messaging her before. Like I ended up completely off, off my head. She lives in Australia. She messaged the girl that I'm really close with over here. Then that girl messaged one of my really close mates. Then he got in contact with my mum. And then it all was like this one big thing. But I was fuming for about a week. I was like, why would you do that? Why would you bring the police to my door? Why would you? And then I kind of then realised, oh, actually, she saved my life. Like, she, like, all of these things, like, were this recurring pattern of maybe it's time for me to accept the fact that I need the help and I shouldn't really be pushing people away. I should be bringing them more in. Mm. But when you're in that frame of mind, you don't want to talk to anyone about it. You don't. I've been there before. And you either drown yourself in a bottle, smoke yourself dry, or just numb yourself. And at the end of the day, there's only one or two outcomes that come of that. That's either you push through it and you get yourself sober and you really live your life and you know you find the light at the end of the tunnel. Or you're then you know, you lose your life and your whole family and then all those people around you that tried to help are completely broken. And that's a really tough, it's a really tough thing. Um, but yeah, that's my answer. Yeah, what I was just saying, like, um, about, you know, people that not necessarily wanting to talk about it or they'll shove you away or push you away to an extent. And I think that all stems from the topic not being sorry it comes from the topic not being or feeling normal to them do you know what i mean if you've never opened up before or done something like that before or reached for help or accepted help you're going to be stubborn in your own ways as we all are in different capacities right um and then what kieran was also saying as well about someone passing the one that i'll be honest with you right it riled me to it riled me like a lot when i saw it and of course i was devastated for her was caroline flack right because the moment she passed away, you're then seeing people post, be kind, be kind, be kind. And then a few days later. 24 hours later, bro, you're seeing those same people posting, be kind, making fun of someone else on their socials. Yeah, it's mad, that isn't it? It's, it's, it's so, is so, so, so mental. Like, but yeah, it's just, what would you, I think the... Go on. What would you say, if you could say one thing to someone who's struggling right now, what would it be? Kieran. See, this this one always gets me choked up sometimes, only because 
I've been that person. Do you know what I mean? I think if you had that one person, this is my my dying answer, right? If this was the last thing I could say to one person or whoever it is listening to this, would be, let me be living proof and look at everything I've gone through to know that what you're going for, I've been in those shoes that where you are, where you're standing, how you've laced them, how whatever you did. Mm. I've woke up some days every other morning with the thought of death at the end of the day on my mind 24 seven in a huge time frame. You know, I've, I've, I've been successful, like, you know, we've tried to attempt to take my life once I've come back again. I've done it again. I've come back again. you know, I've battled through, all of it and the thing is at the end of the day is those people around you are affected more and the thing is you don't know how quickly your life can change within a year my whole life was like I've never you know I've never been this happy or this and that and this and that and it takes time it takes growth it takes determination and the thing is I think a lot of people are proud of those people that even if they get out of bed they've accomplished the best the yeah. best thing in the world because mm-hmm. they're moving they're doing something they're up that might, to some people, they look at that like the most tiniest, normal, everyday thing. And to myself and a lot of others, that is a huge milestone in, um, in life. And, you know, my bones have felt like concrete in the past. And I've not wanted to get out of bed. Like the other day, I didn't want to get out of bed. I just wanted to just lay there and just sort of perish. And I thought about it. I was like, no, nah, do you know what? I'll get up. I'll get out for a walk and whatever. And do you know what? Within an hour, I felt 100 times better. How full um, thing is that feeling though, bro? Like knowing it's that, a feeling of like euphoria. It's not like on drugs again. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, it is. It's like no, all banter aside. I'm, that's the other thing I've noticed with like humour as well. I always try to use a little bit of dark humour to a negative situation, and it just makes yeah. things more funnier, and you can laugh mm. about it better. Mm. But that is like my one thing I would say to someone is, you know, Faze will probably agree with me is. He would always tell me, he's like, look, things will get better. And you're like, no, they won't. They're not going to get better. And you're like, no, like, seriously, dude, like, mm. or darling, they will get better. Do you know what I mean? Like, trust me. Like, you have to have living proof, like, in front of you for them to kind of realise that. Because if mm. you say something to someone, they're like, yeah, you're just saying that to make me feel better. That's mm. another argument they throw on you. Whereas if you can actually prove it by, like, this and this. And when I used to do school talks, I used to scare among the kids and things. I used to say like, well, this happened to me. And then they're like, oh, they're like, whoa, I don't want to do that. And it works. You know, like if you can go somewhere to like hell and back and you're back again, you can teach someone like, oh, this is actually what it's really like. They're like, right, I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing right now. You know, and that's the thing. It always does get better. And whatever you love doing, do that 110% and just put your all into something that you really like doing. It could be anything. And the outcome of happiness is amazing. It's an amazing thing. Mm. Just um, adding on to that, right? So if, I, if there was something I could say to anyone listen, that's listening, struggling right now, battling to get yourself out of bed, stop staring at the ceiling, anything on that, you know, on that sort of way, um, struggling with motivation. Like, look, the times and the circumstances we're living in right now are so unprecedented, right? It's a historical time to be alive. Um, the only reassuring thing you know, not that it makes it any easier in any in any way, is that, we, you know, we're all going through, it's a different battle, but we're all in the same circumstance. Do you know what I mean? We're all in a different battle in our own heads and we all have different life circumstances, but the, you know, the rules that have been set by the government apply to us all. And, um, you know, as someone that has, you know, has, have, um, sorry, from someone that has a history of, say, self-harming, 
And, you know, I look at my scars on my arm, but I'm like, look, that, those right there are my tiger skin. That's my battle scars. You know, they don't define me. They just, for me, show that, okay, I had some demons. I've overcome the darkest period in my life. And I, I look at them as a sign of battle scars. You know, that I've been there, okay, I tackled my demons once, and that's a symbolic thing for me going forward. You know, I got my stripes, not necessarily in the way that I, like, intended or anything, but I use those stripes, I look at the stripes there as a symbol for me of my growth, my resilience, my willpower, my strength. Um, because, you know, there was a time where I had lost hope, and I, I was in the same sort of headspace and shoes as yourself you know as I said we've all got different circumstances but even the idea of you know the word suicide or that the idea of it or imagining this world is you know could be better without you I promise you number one firstly it won't be but what I really want to say to you is just you know you know what has ended up being therapeutic for myself has been writing down my feelings um and turning them into poetry i'm not saying everyone become poetry but uh, sorry go in and become a poet but why not at the same time because my like anytime i have a thought i have a feeling now if it's negative if it's sorry if it's challenging or if it's positive i'll write it down immediately and so now it's like because that's actually that is actually how my when i was through the worst of it through the self-harming and everything when I was trying to first come to terms with what these feelings were, because I couldn't describe them. And for me, it made no sense to say, I feel empty. I feel numb. I don't feel anything. Um, so what I started doing, I started writing words down. So I'd write maybe numb, empty. And then I wrote dwelling and swelling. I was like, oh, it rhymes. <laughs> and then it just sort of escalated from there. And now I, um, I write stories in my poems um with the intention and the aim to like inspire and just uplift people and just let them know like look i promise i've been here too i know exactly how you feel almost like in a way the way that drake inspired me so much listening to songs i want it to be so inclusive it's not like you know this is just for me or whatever of course i speak about my own life experience within it but some people that reached out to me as well when i've done previous songs I would never have expected them to be the people to reach out to me. And in actual fact, as Kieran was saying through maybe his drumming and through his other things, it's actually, and his documentary, it's actually formed the most wonderful relationships and also like reconnected me with so many people, like people that used to think I used to be the shy kid because I never used to speak because I was terrified of being laughed at or bantered. But now that's completely changed and that's gone now. Um, but I have got a, oh, there is one quote that I want to, this is, this one quote is for everyone, sorry, for any single person out there who is struggling right now, um, that's listening to this. And, um, it's actually a quote, um, that my mum shared with me, uh, when I was younger, um, it's in the Quran and it'll obviously be in like the Bible and other books, but it's one quote that stuck with me. And I was like, wow, like when and it's just stuck with me. And there was a period in my life where I kind of distanced a bit from religion. I, I'm just more into my spiritual, but um, what was it? I was having a bit of a challenging time, like I said, two years ago. And my mum hit me with this quote again. And I was like, oh my gosh. Basically the quote is, um, the soul is never put through more than what it can handle. So anything that you're fighting through right now, anything you're going through right now, it is nothing ultimately you will not be able to handle in the long term. If you weren't able to handle this mission, 
it, this challenge and this test and this lesson will not have been put onto your shoulders and into your life. Anything that you get there, it's just about understanding and uh, changing the way you look at a situation. So like you, if you feel absolutely crap one day and don't want to do something, that is okay. It's not being hard on yourself, being easy with yourself. If someone cancelled on you, for example, I'm sure you'd be so much more understanding of their circumstances rather than be understanding to yourself and understand I don't feel great. It's almost like you feel, you then guilt trip yourself and shame yourself for like, oh, I cancelled, I did this, I did that. No, like, learn, you know, be easy, like be gentle and kind to yourself. But I have wrote something as well, if it's possible to show it, uh, to share it with you guys. <sighs> All right, so I was gonna show like the one that I've released, but, um, but this is one that I wrote during lockdown. Um, and I feel like now is a good, uh, this is a great platform to be able to share it with you guys and to anyone that's listening. <sighs> okay. <clears throat> sometimes you find yourself in the middle of nowhere. And sometimes in the middle of nowhere, you find yourself. It doesn't matter how. I'm just someone telling you that your life is not a reflection of how you may feel right now. A second lockdown sure as hell don't mean we stop now. A lot of realization and isolation. All this isolation got me in an isolation ship. A generation of awakening, realizing, keeping social distance, but we're never socially distant. Suicidal survival, my scars are tribal. Complexes of an only child, I used to move like I'm entitled. I wish they spoke to me, this ain't like them. My brain x-rays displaying spirals. Butterflies began to fly away. Anxiety enters the frame, my stomach feeling sickly, but not quite the same from how we first engaged. And whether I'm talking straights or lifting weights, my mind escapes. Past ordeals regurgitate, the same ones I want to terminate, but before I know it, my thoughts escalate, race, run round and circulate. But wait, I am the energy that I attract. And in fact, I, I know I play a massive impact from how I act and interact. Feel unbroken, but remain intact. Welcome to life as an empath. Because I can sense cracks with the ones I back. So block any form of contact. We were cool, but never signed no contract. So allow me to detract, turn off my location to stay untracked. They're not who they claim. What hurts the most is when you realize that they're not the same. You're both riding, but not the same wave. And sometimes it's hard for me to hide my feelings because I genuinely feel things. It takes me longer when it comes to healing. And I question if they're the ones who are naive because they don't see things. And to anyone that's listening to this right now, I love you, and that's eternal. If I wrote down my feelings, I'd be writing journals, enduring life's hurdles, polishing and perfecting my deepest circles. No, I'm always real. Always give them something they can feel. There were times I doubt I'd ever heal. So here's to me preaching whilst trying to heal, then further on preaching on how to keep it real, but now let me be real. Letting go of what I can't control. My only focus is to purify my soul. My energy's contagious. Elevate and celebrate beyond measures that's outrageous. On the quest for greatness, pulled down by fakeness, but we are what we attract. So don't be down if you subtract. Panic attack. But now we attack the panic. Learning so fast, we drop manual to engrave this automatic. Less manic and less frantic. Don't be so dramatic. This is something you can manage. Why else would you be on this planet? Put down the Xanax. I best see that vanish. Become more dynamic. Stretch your imagination and view more panoramic. Take a moment to stop and think. People walk out of your life for others to walk in.
Don't be sad and distraught. Thank them for the joy that they brought and the lessons they taught. But most importantly, be your own support. <laughs> no, absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And if this Thank podcast didn't give you any food for the thought, I know that that, uh, that poem and was just incredible. That will leave you with something to, to think about today. So what you've both done today is begun to emit change at yourself, you know, just by speaking out about your struggles and talking about the subject, you know, and if you have any comments, please use our hashtag man up. Thank you for Faisal and Kieran for both being here today. And um, yeah, thanks guys. Real Connection.